If you've been with us the last few months, you know we've been in the book of Romans. It's the book that uh, Paul wrote to the early church that was meeting there in Rome. And we're right now for four weeks, this is week two, in this little mini-series, okay, called Living a Repurposed Life. And we're focusing our energy on two verses, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. These are important verses. In fact, as I shared last week, a pastor I really like named Tim Keller says, in these two verses is an explanation of the entirety of the Christian life, how we should live, how we should think. And so we are going to slow down and spend about, we're going to spend four weeks just looking at these verses. And what I'd like us to do is the same thing that we did last week. Week And that is, I'd like for us to read these verses together. The idea of this series is that when we choose to put our trust in Jesus Christ, he repurposes our lives and gives us a different meaning, a different significance, and a different vision for what we do. It's similar to what happens today in our world. Plenty of reality shows, plenty of flea markets you can go to, plenty of things you can look around your house that you've found and you've repurposed into something else. Those things are all around, and it's a very trendy thing to do. You turn the ladder into a bookshelf or something along those lines. And the same type of thing happens in our life when we follow Jesus Christ. Something that was old, something that had a different purpose, now is made new in Christ and has a new meaning and a new purpose. So we're going to read these verses together. I'd ask you to read them with me, and then, uh, and then we'll get going. Would you read these verses? This is Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All of us, because of the time that we live in, because of the culture that we live in, because of the period of history in which we are living, all of our lives are being molded and shaped into something. I think we like to think of ourselves as individuals. We like to think of ourselves as being non-conforming, that we make the decisions, that we decide what's right for our lives, that we decide what's best. The reality is all of us are shaped and influenced by something. The voices that are in this culture, the uh, friends that we have, the ideas that we, uh, that we come across, all of us are shaped by something. And it happens with the big things in life. It happens with the little things in life. As the age changes and the generation changes, so do the ideals and the things that seem important. I still don't know uh, that my grandparents can wrap their minds around the importance of recycling. It's something that they, it was just not important and not, not thought about. And so uh, when I was talking to my, I talked to my 94-year-old grandmother last night, and I just don't know if, if that's something that she's passionate about, the need to recycle and reuse uh, and that sort of thing. But talk to people from other generations, 
And that's something that has become huge because we have new ideas and we have uh, uh, new methods. And as ages shift, so do things that are important and things that we do. And we're conformed by that. We are molded by that. Many of us would say, absolutely, reusing things and recycling things, that's extremely important. We have to take care of this earth. And we've been shaped and molded into that by our culture. I don't know about your house growing up, but I can tell you that the Krogh household growing up, we were a tap water only house, okay? Some of the uppity people we knew used to buy water in bottles, okay? But the Krogh's, we did not buy the bottled water. It came out of the tap. It was clean. We already paid for that water, and so we were drinking that water. And my wife can attest, if we were to go to my parents' house right now, and we were going to get water, we would need to get water out of the pitcher that is in the fridge but has been filled from the tap, okay? Now, when I left the nest and I went and expanded my wings into this broad world, all of a sudden, uh, as I met new people and talked about new things, uh, people would look at me and they'd be like, you, you never drink bottled water? Everybody drinks bottled water. Why wouldn't you drink bottled water? And it took a long time for me to get out of this mold, uh, but, but finally, eventually, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to, I'll drink the bottled water. I'll buy into this, okay? No more tap water for me. I'll go to Costco and I'll buy the big thing of the bottled water and that's what I'll drink. Right about the time I started buying bottled water, people started coming on television and telling me, do you know who drinks bottled water? People who hate the earth. That's who drinks bottled water. <laughs> Every time you open that cap and you hear that plastic snap and it opens, the beaches erode, the glaciers fall into the sea. And so now I have to have this whole new paradigm, right? So I, anyone who is a millennial, I guarantee you they're drinking filtered water, but they're probably drinking out of it their own water bottle that they carry around all the time because only someone who really dislikes the world and the earth would drink out of plastic water bottles. So now I have to reconform myself to the new standard that's in our culture. And that kind of stuff happens. It happens, you know, with the small things like where and how we drink our water, although drinking water is important, uh, the small things like that, but it, it also happens with the big things. There's a man by the name of Martin Lindstrom, and he's a forming marketing manager and expert who wrote a book called Brand Washing. Okay, it's a pun, Brand Washing. And he said in that book, he mentions the fact that animals like birds and termites, I had never heard this about termites before, that birds and termites are famous for just conforming and following one another. So you've been along, driving along the highway before, and you've seen uh, no birds, and then all of a sudden one bird will shoot up out of a field or out of the grass, and then a hundred other birds will follow them. And the first bird will dart to the left and all of them will follow. And then it will dart to the right and all of them will follow. And wherever that first bird goes, the entire swarm of birds, the entire flock is going. We've seen that happen before, right? Well, he said the same thing happens in termites. Termites, I didn't know this, are blind and deaf. And the only way they can figure out where they're going is to send one termite out and to have that termite uh, let off some sort of chemical that lets the other termites know that that's the direction they're supposed to be going. And so they all line up, and I suppose, I mean, I've always seen like a line of termites, that's probably why, is they all stay in their line. 
Martin says that in 2008, a school by the name of Leeds University did a study. They took 200 people and they put them in a giant room. And they said to the 200 people, everybody just walk around aimlessly for 10 minutes. And so they did. And then they took everybody out of the room and they brought a a few people aside and they said, we're going to tell all those people to wander aimlessly, but we want you to walk. And they gave them a pattern. So let's say they said, we want you to walk in a counterclockwise circle. What the researchers found out is once they gave direction to 5% of the room, so once 10 people out of 200 had direction, within the 10 minutes, everybody else in the room who started wandering wandering aimlessly would follow that 5% of the people. So they set out, and there were 10 people that that knew where they were going. They were walking in this counterclockwise circle, and 190 people that were told to wander the room aimlessly. And so the 10 people, the 5%, started walking in a big circle, and everyone else started wandering around aimlessly. And it was only a matter of time, Lindstrom says, but just like the birds and just like the termites, all 200 people fell in line. And by the time the experiment was over, and they did it multiple times, the entire room was walking in the pattern that they had told the 5%. Lindstrom writes that peer pressure begins when we're young, and if we're honest, it never leaves us. And he writes a marketing book, and he says that marketers and advertisers know this about us, and they use it against us to buy products, okay? Uh, Some of you are sitting here with an iPhone 7 this morning, right? It probably wasn't easy for you to get this weekend, but you did it because you've been uh, brandwashed, right, into following that. I don't mean to be offensive. I got an iPhone too. But that never leaves us, this peer pressure. If someone seems like they know where they're going and what they're doing, we will, we're tempted to fall in line. So the question is, what are those things that we end up falling in line with? What are those things that we end up conforming to? And as I thought about this, three words came to my mind. And I think the things that we end up conforming to, the ideas, the thought patterns, the actions come from three things that we can think about. And those three things are this. They come from the things we give our attention to. They come from the things we seek acceptance from. And they come from the voices that we give authority in our life. That what we end up conforming to in our lives and our thought process being molded into, okay, they come from the the things that we give our attention to, the places we seek acceptance, and the voices that we allow to have authority in our lives. We like to think of ourselves as nonconformist and individuals. The reality is, is that all of us think that we're thinking outside of the box, but most of the time we're just all in different boxes. So I may be in a different thought box or action box than you, but I have a hundred other friends in my box that look exactly like me. And none of us are really, truly, non-conforming. We think differently. We act differently. We react differently. It's not because we're necessarily non-conformists and total individuals. I would suggest it's because of the things that we've paid attention to, the places where we look for acceptance, and the voices that we've allowed to have authority in our lives. Over time, that molds us and shapes us so that we can end up very different types of people. Within all of this truth, 
that our culture and our, and our thoughts and attention and acceptance and authority, all of that stuff molds us and shapes us into something. The Apostle Paul has a warning for the early church, and he has a warning for us. The warning is very specific to people who follow Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says, if you've bought into everything we've already talked about, that he died on the cross for our sins and was raised again, and if we put our trust in him, that he will restore our relationship with God here and in heaven, and that we will have life eternal. If you believe all of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, then here is the warning that Paul gives us. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm glad that you're here. But what I hope is that this helps you understand why those of us who identify with Christ and call ourselves followers of Jesus live the way that we live. This is the warning that Paul gives us right there at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says. Or maybe your translation says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. There's a couple of words that are, that are interesting to me, Greek words that are interesting to me in this passage. The Greek word that's translated conformed, that word is, I'm not, I'm not going to, if I try to say it, I'm going to mess it up, so you just have to trust me here. That word is the root word for our word schemes, okay? And within the word that's translated conformed, comes the idea of being molded and shaped into a pattern or into a mold, all right? All of that is within one word. So when you read a translation that says, conform to the patterns of, that's all one word in Greek. Conform to the patterns of all one word in Greek because that Greek word that gets translated conformed or conformed to the patterns of has this uh, this meaning in, encapsulated in it. This is how it's used in ancient Greek writing, whether that's in the Bible or other sources. It's about people who are being conformed or something that's being conformed to a mold like jello that's setting in the refrigerator, being conformed to a certain shape or something like that. The other Greek word that's interesting to me is the word that's translated world. That word is aion, much easier. A-I-O-N, if you were to transliterate it into English. Now, if Paul was talking about planet Earth, world, he would use the word cosmos. That's the Greek word for, for Earth and world. But he uses a different word, and that word is the word that we would translate age. Paul's talking about a time period, a time and place. And in ancient Greek writing, that word is used most often to talk about a culture and societal norms in a specific time and place. So this verse could easily be translated, do not be conformed with the idea of to the schemes of this age. Do not be conformed to the schemes of this age. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. What Paul is saying is, listen, in our culture in first century Rome, there are things that are happening in this day and time, culturally and socially, that we have to be careful as followers of Jesus, if we have to choose between conforming between the two, that we're not conforming to the things of this age and this time period in which we live. And if Paul were here today, I think he would tell us the exact same thing. That the cultural norms and things have changed... Some, you know, somewhat over 2,000 years. 
But the principle remains that if we follow Jesus, we must be careful, Paul says, that we're not conforming to the patterns of our age. There's a time in the Old Testament where God's people, the Israelites, made this mistake. It happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And what was happening at the time is that the people started to look at the people groups that were around them, and they noticed something that was different about all the other people that were around them and themselves. You remember the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery by Moses. God called Moses, and he brought the people out of Egypt. For a while, for a number of generations, there would be one person who was the go-between, between God, who was the king of the Israelites, and the people. At this particular time, it's a man named Samuel. And Samuel has been the go-between between the God, who is the king of the Israelites, and the Israelites themselves. Well, Samuel's getting old, and he's going to die, and the people come to Samuel, and they say to him in 1 Samuel chapter 8, listen, Samuel, um, you're old, okay, and, and you're not going to be with us much longer, and we don't really like your kids. This is what they say. We don't think your kids are very great leaders, so we don't want them. And we think, we looked at all these other nations around us, and we noticed they all have kings. All of them have kings, and we don't have a king. And so, Samuel, when you, since you're going to, you know, abdicate this role soon, we want you to leave in place a king instead. And Samuel said back to the people, oh, I think you're forgetting. God is your king. That's how it's been set up since this God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And they said, no, we still want a king. So, so Samuel went and he talked to God and he said, and God said, well, tell the people what will happen if they get this king. So Samuel came back and he said to the people, he said, okay, I don't think you've thought this through. If you get a king, here's what's going to happen. You know how right now there's no taxes? If you put a king in place, okay, he is going to tax you like crazy. Without representation, he will tax you and everything that you have. And then he said to them, and this king is really going to want a military. And who do you think he's going to go to to build all the weapons and build all the chariots and be the people in the military? He's coming for you and he's coming for your children. And then he's going to take your sons and they're going to make the chariots and all the weapons and they're going to go off and fight. He's going to come and he's going to take your daughters and he's going to make them work in his palace and be uh, different roles for the people. And then he's going to take you sometimes because kings don't do anything. They sit on thrones. And he's going to take you sometimes and he's going to make you work for them, for, for him. And Samuel said, what do you think about that? And the people said to Samuel, we'd really like a king. So Samuel goes back to God, and he says, God, I don't know what to do. And God says, listen, give them what they want. Give them what they want. And this is exactly what they say to Samuel when Samuel tells them they shouldn't do this. The people said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. We see how the culture works. We see what they're doing. It looks great. It looks great from the outside. Everything that's going on and everything they're doing, they really seem to have their act together. They have these great kings and these great processions and flags and all this cool stuff that we don't have. We want to be like them and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And if you know anything about the history of God's people, they put a king in place and for generation after generation and for hundreds of years, those kings were a giant barrier many times between the people 
and God. And it was all because they fell victim to the scheme of the age and conformed to the pattern of the age rather than listening to God himself. So what does this look like in our world? What could this possibly look like in our world? I'm going to mention a couple of things, and I'm going to mention them very briefly. There, every one of these is a bigger conversation in and of itself. But I want to give at least a couple of examples of places in our world where there is a pattern that's happening, and right now, as we sit here, many who follow Jesus are conforming themselves to the pattern of the age. There was a research uh, project done in August of 2015 by the Barna Group, and they asked people to respond to a number of statements and say whether they agreed with them or they disagreed with them. And so thinking about some of these statements, they also measured how many people who say they don't follow Christ, how they answered, and they measured how people who say they do follow Jesus answered. And I want us to think through a couple of these for a moment. The first one um, comes around this pattern in our age, this thought process in our age that is summed up well in a bumper sticker that you've seen that says, coexist. Now, the idea behind that, there's part of it that I agree with, and part of it that as a follower of Jesus Christ is difficult for me to agree with. Here's the part that I agree with. No matter what someone believes, and no matter what their religious background, we should be able to love one another, live next to each other. We should not be killing each other or fighting each other. We should be able to respect each other and help each other. And just because we're from different faith backgrounds and just because we have different uh, belief systems does not in any way mean that we can't live together peacefully. But the idea that sits behind it, the real pattern and scheme of the age, is that all religions are the same. They all lead to the same point. That there's really no difference between them. The challenge that I have with that is that every religion in the world makes such competing statements. They say very different things. In fact, I love the way the journalist Stephen Turner puts it. He wrote this in a poem. He says, all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. Just slight differences. Slight differences. But that's the truth. That the different religions of the world make, make huge competing statements against one another about who God is and how we're saved. And if I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the most loving thing that I can do, because that's who I am and that's part of my identity, it's, it is my identity, and because that's what I believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what I believe. The only loving thing for me to do is to go out and find a way to share that with somebody. If I withhold that information, then I am not being loving at all. And insofar as it's about living together and loving each other and not hurting each other, it's a good idea. But when it becomes something that we say, yeah, everything's basically the same, it's a scheme of the age. This is the statement that the Barner Group asked people to respond to. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. 
That's within that whole coexist mantra. 79% of, of the general public agreed, but 61%, 60% of Christians agreed. And it's conforming. I'm not saying we should get up on a milk crate and start shouting at people and telling them why they're wrong. But man, we should lovingly find ways to share the love of Jesus Christ with people. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that is our primary identity. And your primary identity better be affecting the way you live your life in society. There's more, but I'm just going to talk about one other one this morning for time's sake. First one is this idea of, of coexisting. A second one is the idea of tolerance. It's another big word. I know it's a hot-button word. Can we be honest and just admit that nobody's tolerant of everything? That there's no one who's truly tolerant of everything? We don't tolerate everything. Tolerance is a way to take a backhanded jab at those who disagree with us. And so rather than have good conversation, rather than talk things out, uh, when we hear that someone disagrees with our viewpoint, we can slap them with the intolerant label, and that shuts them up, and that gets them to stop talking. And rather than promote conversation, and rather than love each other and try to have some sort of conversation, we can just, uh, we can just do away with people with that phrase. Now here's the statement that Barna asked people to agree or disagree with. People should not criticize someone else's lifestyle choices. 89% of people in the world agreed. 60 or 76% of Christians agreed. Now, here's the thing. I completely agree that I should not start walking around this world and get up in people's faces and, and you know, tell them everything that they're doing wrong. People could easily do that to me. But what is implicit underneath this is that even God himself does not have the authority to come into this world and come into my life and tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we absolutely have to be listening to the voice of God and allow him to tell us what it is that we might be doing and how we might be living that is contrary to what he believes. There's no, um, I'm not surprised, does not surprise me, that people who do not follow Jesus agree with this statement. But I'm saying to you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be very wary of counting ourselves in that 76%. Because we need to be open to the reality that there are things in our lives that we need to change. And not every desire that we have is good. And not, we don't know within our own selves everything that we should be doing all the time, that it is okay for brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is okay for God himself to come and mold and shape our behavior and our patterns, and that God loves us and sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so he's not going to say, hey, I loved you enough to send my son to die on the cross for your sins and to be raised again. Now what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to live the most miserable life possible. He's going to say, listen, I want you, I'm asking you to conform yourself to what I'm asking you to do. Because I have your best interests in mind. Because I am a loving father. Because I created all this and I know how it's supposed to work. You see, what we'd love to have is we'd love to have it both ways. We'd love to be able to say, God, you're our king, but we're going to do what we want to do. God, you're our king and we're your people, but we'd also like to have an earthly king if that's okay. And today in our church, there is the 
temptation and what is happening is even within the church of Jesus Christ, even those who would say they're followers of Jesus Christ, we are saying, okay, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I'm also going to allow myself to adopt the patterns of this world and the cultures of this world. It's just easier sometimes, isn't it? There's a book called How Not to Be Secular by a man named James Smith, and he gives us this picture, okay? He says, it's like we're all sitting in a stadium, okay? And we're so interested with the game that's happening on the field that we don't realize that this stadium has a retractable roof that is slowly closing over our heads. We're so interested with everything that's going on and our own ideas and finding our identity deep within ourselves and being on our smartphones and, and, and figuring everything out and making everyone peaceful. We're so into the game that we don't realize that above our heads, the retractable roof is closing. And we're very close to that roof being closed, blocking out all the stars and not even being aware. And he makes the point that we, when the stars get blocked out, we lose something. And our society is so concerned with ourselves and identity and self-fulfillment and fixing every problem that's on this earth that we don't realize that we're not paying at all to what's happening. We're not paying any attention to what's happening above us. And it's happening in the church as well that we are finding ourselves becoming conformed to the patterns of this age. It's easier We don't want to cause problems. We want people to like us. And so we take all of our attention and we give it to things in this world and we look for acceptance in this world and we allow the voices of this world to gain authority in our life. And slowly but surely, that access to God that is above our heads is closing as we become molded and shaped into the things of this world. And we don't even realize it's happening. I'd like to invite our worship team back to the stage as we prepare to close this morning. Here's what Paul's saying to us this morning. Paul's saying, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, be non-conforming to this world and conform yourself to Christ. He's already said it to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We talked about it a number of weeks ago. This is what he says there. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. If Paul's saying, do not conform to the world, what he is saying very positively is allow yourself to be conformed to Christ. We cannot do both at the same time. We're either moving to being more like the likeness of Christ or we're moving to be conformed to the world. We can't have both, and we're going one way or the other. So I'd ask yourself to ask you this question this morning. Who gets your attention? Or what gets your attention? Where are you seeking acceptance? All of us want it. We all want to be accepted. All want to be cared for. Where are you seeking your acceptance? And what are the voices in your life that you're allowing to have authority? If we are followers of Jesus Christ and we're looking to be conformed into his image, then he needs to get our our attention. Our feeling of acceptance and significance and meaning comes because he has died for us and we have trusted in him. And he is the authority. His voice is the authority. No matter what voices are here, his voice is the authority in our lives. If you were with us last week, you remember, Paul starts this whole thing off in view of God's mercies. In view of all that God has done for us, live this way. 
God is a loving Father who wants you to be conformed to the likeness of his Son because it is right and best, not only for this world, but for the next. God's not asking us to conform to the likeness of his Son so that we would be miserable and miss out on things that are great on this earth. He's calling us to do it because he has the best plan for us, because one day we're going to see him face to face, and it matters what we're conformed to on this earth when we see him. And he asks us to do it in light of everything that he's done for us through his Son. So who are you being conformed to this morning? Who has your attention? Where are you looking for acceptance? And who has authority in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that it's God himself. God, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we pray that we would, be allow, we would allow ourselves to be conformed to Christ and to the likeness of your Son. That you would help us to be wise and to evaluate the things of this earth through your word. And help us to live in such a way that others are attracted to you and to your love. We pray it in Jesus' name.